Good evening, church. <clears throat> My name is Andrew, and I'll be bringing us this evening's Bible reading, which comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we should walk in them. This is the word of God. Good evening, church. It's a joy to be together, isn't it? Um, We are going back to our series, uh, which is titled, You Belong. And it's a privilege for me to be bringing us God's word. I hope that you'll keep that passage open with you. So just to uh, say, yes, we are in Ephesians. I hope you have your Bible open uh, with you or a smartphone if you are joining us for the very first time at our evening service. It's a joy to have you uh, with us. Um, you belong here, and I hope that you will, you will find belonging. Uh, this is a series that's circled, centered around the letter to the Ephesians, and I don't think I, I'm exaggerating when I say this is one of my favorite books uh, in the Bible. Uh, so this is one of my most favorite uh, books because in it we see the summary of what the Christian faith is all about and what the Christian church is all about. In it we see the very heart of God towards people and what he desires for us uh, as, uh, uh, as his people. Uh, and so we've titled it uh, You Belong because as I've read Ephesians, I believe that it is at the heart of what God is saying. Uh, in Ephesians. Just the homework for you. When you go home, one of the things we encourage here at Christ Church Midland is that you read your own Bible. Uh, so this coming week, can I encourage you to read Ephesians in just one sitting? I think it should take you about an hour to read through that. So during, maybe you want to space that out during your lunchtime. Circle the number of times the word love comes across in this, uh, in this letter. So one of the things we do with the students is that we go onto a website called the Bible Gateway, and then you remove all the verses and you read it and print it as a manuscript, uh, and then you circle the number of time when it talks about love, and then ask yourself the question, whose love is it? Uh, so that's um, that's homework for uh, for this week. But we going, going into you belong. Say to somebody next to you, you belong. Say, tell somebody next to you, you belong. 
Now, a popular, um, I don't know if she's a psychologist or anthropologist, uh, she's a popular author by the name of Brene Brown. She says that belonging is so innate to all of us. Uh, so at the heart of who we are, we are is this concept of belonging. This is what she says. Uh, she's not a Christian, uh, or nor is she writing from a Christian worldview, but I think what she has to say is quite, um, quite key. She says we are biologically cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love, be loved, and to belong. Uh, meaning that everything in us is wired and geared towards uh, belonging uh, and being loved. And she says, continues to say, that when those needs are not met, we don't function as we are meant to. Uh, in fact, she says we break apart uh, and we fall apart. We don't function how God wants uh, us to function. We don't function the way he's designed us to, to function. If we sense uh, rejection, uh, many of us have tasted rejection, isn't it? Uh, that it's not a good thing to be rejected by people. In fact, every single one of us sitting here this evening desires and longs for love and to be loved. Uh, that's what we, we all desire. So much so that belonging or rather the groups that we belong to, often tend to shape the behavior uh, that we go out and, um, um, and live out out there. Uh, so you know if you grew up in uh, a community that is more collective, you'd know that if you're a kid and you walked around perhaps in, uh, in your neighborhood and then you did something bad, uh, the question that they would ask would be, Whose child are you? <laughs> what kind of a society shaped you to become uh, the person that you are? And so one of the things that we see, in case you miss where we are going this evening, is that this concept of belonging is actually connected to Christian behavior. The way we behave is uh, deeply connected with our sense of belonging uh, or where we belong. In fact, our passage this evening will be centered around uh, this idea of which family you belong to. Someone say, whose child are you? Um, so let me start off, um, remind you, if you were with us for the other four weeks when we looked at Ephesians, or if you're just new and joining us, uh, just to give you an idea of how this idea of belonging plays itself out in the book. Uh, so we have chapters 1, 2, 3 of Ephesians uh, that tells us Paul labors the point, Paul labors with these Christians that your belonging is not something that is based on the things that you do. In other words, there's nothing you can do to earn God's favor. There's nothing that you can do to earn a place at the table in the family of God. Uh, your belonging in chapters 1, 2, 3 is a mighty act of God. Uh, chapter 1, Paul speaks and about the spiritual blessings uh, that the Jews had in Jesus, uh, that he blessed them, uh, God the Father blessed them with the sense of adoption. Uh, adoption is, again, not something that you do. Uh, think about a kid who is living in the street, who comes in into a family uh, and finds belonging. Uh, very often it is not anything that this kid does. Uh, to belong to the family, but it, it is because of the family that adopts uh, uh, adopts uh, this um, this uh, this child. So, chapters one, we see that God adopts 
us or rather the Jews. And then verse 13, he goes on to say, you also, speaking to non-Jews, you also are included in this family. Uh, So chapter 1, 2, 3 is this idea that God the Father is gathering for himself a family uh, with Christ as um, as the chief, with Christ as the head of this family. Then chapter 4, 5, 6, Paul says to these Christians who are living in hostile conditions, now that you belong, now that you understand that your belonging is not something that is based on you, this is how you ought to live uh, as your life as a, as a believer. Uh, so he's explaining to them uh, the Christian faith. And at the heart of it, we saw in the first sermon, Uh, that it begins, look at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God uh, to the saints uh, who are in Ephesus and who are the faithful in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then towards the end, he ends off his greetings, he ends off by saying in chapter 6, verse 23, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God, who God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. This concept that God is our Father comes, uh, uh, comes out all across um, the book of Ephesians. So much so that an author by the name of J.R. Pecker said that if you don't understand the idea of God being Father, you actually haven't understood the Christian faith. Um, That's extreme. I know this is what he says. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how, what, how much he makes of the thought of God, of being God's child and having God, uh, as, as father. Uh, he goes on to, to argue and says, "To, to be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the father. Is greater. Let me say that again. Um, to be right with God, the judge, is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for, cared for by God the Father is greater. Uh, what does he mean by that? Well, very simple, that whenever we explain the gospel message, very often we explain it in this way, right? And this is the most beautiful story ever told, that you and I as nice as we look this evening, we are born into a relationship with sin uh, and a relationship that is anti-God. Uh, so God is like a perfect judge who lives perfectly and obeys, uh, or not obeys, but he's, he's like a mukhoeng mukhoeng or whoever it is the, the chief justice right now is. This is the kind of person we look to uh, to be the perfect citizen, right, who obeys the law. So in our explanation of the gospel, very often we describe God as the Father and us as people who have disobeyed uh, the law. So we are the criminals. Uh, we broke out of jail. Uh, we fled to Tanzania, and now we are brought back. And the case against us is greater than that of Tabo Besta and Nandipa. We are sinners uh, before this holy judge. Um, but here's what happens. This judge is not only judge he, uh, who loves justice, but he's a judge who loves mercy. So what does he do? He cannot let sin go unpunished. Uh, so he goes on to pronounce us guilty, but goes to the jail cell for us. Amen. That is the Christian message, right? If We, we often preach the Bible 
that way uh, and the Christian story that way. And I think it's the most beautiful story ever told. But here's the thing. Unless you come to understand that God is not just a judge, J.R. Packer says that you haven't actually understood uh, fully the Christian message. In other words, the way you relate to God is impoverished unless you embrace him as father. Uh, Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, he could have said to them, pray this way. When you pray, say, almighty judge uh, who rules this world. Uh, He didn't say that, did he? He said, when you pray, you ought to say, our father. Somebody say, our father. Our father is key. Fatherhood, this concept of fatherhood is key to understanding the Christian message. And I want to beat that drum because here's the thing. I think when we come to church, uh, as we live the Christian life, very often it feels like it feels like we come in and we have to work hard uh, to belong. Very often, if you read Ephesians, you see that in chapter 4, he's calling people to do very difficult things. And very often, when we get to those paths, we get discouraged because we simply don't match up. Now, there's a reason why Paul wrote the letter the way he did. There's a reason why he makes mention of our belonging before he calls us Uh, to a certain lifestyle. There's there's a reason why he says to these Christians that something, something radical in your life has changed, something about who you are, which we're going to see in our passage this evening. Something has changed in your life, so some things have to change. Um, So I'm going to pray for us as we dive into chapter 2 of Ephesians. And as we dive dive into chapter 2, if you get confused at any stage or if you start thinking about whether Arsenal is going to win the league or anything like that, uh, just remember that at the heart of chapter 2 is the idea of which family you belong to and how you are going to act and live out uh, whatever family it is that you belong to. So it's about family, it's about belonging. There's two types of family here that we see in Ephesians, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to, uh, to 10. So let, let me lead us in prayer, and then we're going to get into chapter 2. Please bow your heads. Our Father who is in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity uh, to once again come and hear your word. Uh, we come broken and defeated. Uh, We come as strugglers. We come with a limited view of who you are. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you'd give us power, as Paul prays, power to see just how much you love us, power to see you who are at work in our lives, power to see ourselves in the way that you see us as your children. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd work, and the reality of who we are, we pray, Lord, that it would overshadow any reality of our life of sin. I pray that you'd equip us as we go into this week uh, to live lives that are reshaped by the power of your word. And it is in Jesus' name that we ask. Amen. Now, when it comes to telling the truth about the Christian faith, I don't think anybody does it well like Steve Harvey does. Um, so he had two specials. One of them was when he had embraced the Christian faith. He was like, I'm a Christian now. I'm not going to cuss. 
Uh, and then he does an entire comedy uh, set without cussing, and every now and again he almost slips, uh, but he says, don't trip, he ain't through with me yet. Uh, God ain't through with me yet. And then later on, a couple of years later, he made another special where he was just like, ah, nah, I'm tired of not cussing. I'm going to go back to my ways. Uh, and one of the lines that he says about the Christian faith in that, uh, uh, that comedy set, he says, he says, let me tell you something. Be- being Christian hard. Being Christian hard. Uh, he says that there's ten commandments, and on any given day, he's, about, he's averaging about seven uh, of those commandments. Uh, he says uh, in one of the, the things that... Christianity, one of the things that it requires of you is that if somebody slaps you, you must turn the other cheek. And he's like, I'm, of course I'm turning the other cheek. If you smack me, I'm going to smack you so hard that you turn around and turn the other cheek. Uh, that's just me being Christian hard. If you don't love me, I don't love you. Uh, that's what uh, he says. And I, I listened to that uh, uh, set and I was like, yeah... I think I resonate with that because there are times in your life, isn't it, when you're not even averaging a seven. Amen. For me, it's like the morning, right? Like by the morning, I'm not averaging seven. I'm at like four and a half, right? Uh, especially when they ask me, I'm not a morning person. Uh, if I haven't had my coffee and somebody says to me, why aren't you smiling? And I'm like, why must I be smiling at eight o'clock in the morning? Uh, and by that time, I've, uh, I've broken some laws in my mind. Uh, so if you were as honest as Steve Harvey is, you must have felt this, being Christian hard, isn't it? Uh, being Christian is difficult. It's as if somebody hands us a list of things to do, and if we feel like we don't match up to those things, uh, we feel like we don't belong. Um, you feel like I will belong if Christians would accept me uh, I would belong. If I just sound good at Bible study, maybe then I'll feel like a good enough uh, Christian. If uh, I'll be good with God, if I stop swearing, uh, if I stop, if I sort out my anger issues, if I have my marriage in order, if I have my addiction to pornography in order, then and only then will I feel like I belong. Being Christian hard, ain't it? Being Christian is hard. Okay, there's no sinners here. You guys have it sorted out. You believe. Uh, let's close our Bibles. <laughs> Being Christian is difficult. Amen. Uh, if you're going to be honest, uh, we read scriptures, and we're going to read the scripture this evening. It's going to feel like there's two different realities. Not, it's not going to feel like that. There are two different realities that Paul alerts these Christians to, and very often it feels like the one reality is much more real than the other. Very often it feels like me being a Christian, me being a child of God, that there are times when the devil whispers to me, like, really? When you, who, we know you. Like, if we were to put up your video here, people will not be want to talk to you after a service. Being Christian um, is hard, and very often the pressures of life lead us to sinful behavior. Very often the pressures of life and the sinful inclination of our previous life come now and again and say, <laughs> what's good? Uh, what's good? And then uh, you feel like less and less of a Christian. And Paul knew this as he was penning this letter to these guys who were once Gentiles, once lived in a world where they had no regard for God, and now they find themselves 
uh, as Christians. They find themselves struggling, trying to make sense of what it means to be a Christian in a society that's oppressing them for being Christian. They want to give up, uh, but Paul reminds them, and he wants to show them uh, that they can live the Christian life like those guys at gym. You know those guys who pump weights uh, with their chest out, small legs, um, but anyway, chest up, uh, chest out, chin up, uh, to say that even though I'm blowing it, even though I'm not messing up as a Christian, I am secure and I belong to God the Father. Therefore, I can step out out of those doors into this week, no matter what the pressures of lives are, and live the Christian life. Amen. Uh, so two realities that we are going to see, if you still have your Bibles there. Number one uh, is who we were. Uh, so who we were, that is, we're going to see that from verses 1, 2, and 3, who we were. So Paul paints for them the reality of who they were. Paul paints for us the reality of who we were. And then verses 4 to 10, he paints the reality of the here and now. And I'm going to look at verse 1 to 3 and then verse 4 to 10, and then I'm going to uh, leave you with a question. Uh, So we're going to see who we were, who we are, and then a question that that we should ask um, ourselves. Uh, Who we were, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Listen to God's word. Uh, And you... Who is he talking about? He's talking to the Ephesians. He's talking to people who were non-Jew before. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. Uh, You were dead men walking. Because if you see in verse uh, 2, these dead people are walking around. Paul is describing a scenario for them, a picture for them of them uh, before Christ. And now... You may be, and you should be asking yourself a question. Uh, when we speak about being dead, what, what is it that Paul is actually referring to? Uh, many people will say, well, this is spiritual, spiritual death. Um, that is fancy. I, I, I like you to tell it to a two-year-old. What does it mean to be spiritually dead? What does that, what does that look like? What does that mean? You are dead in your trespasses and sins. I think any time you encounter this kind of thing, do not import everything else that the Bible speaks about when it speaks about death. Just look in on the context of what Paul is saying. And in chapter 2, he's describing two kinds of lives. And you'll see very quickly that being dead has to do with not belonging to God. Being dead has to do with being outside the relationship, a relationship with God. Uh, so that is what it means uh, to be dead. It means to live your life with this determination to put God out of the picture. So before we had a relationship with Jesus, we were dead. Uh, That is a powerful picture because it's a picture of not being responsive to God. I don't know if you've seen a dead person before. Um, If you speak to them, they they don't respond. And so it is with our spiritual nature. So it is with our behavior that outside of a relationship with God, this is who we are. We want nothing to do with him. We are dead in our sins and in our trespasses. This picture stems all the way back to Genesis when uh, when God said to them, the day you eat of this fruit, you will be 
doomed to die. You you die. They never died physically, right? But they were chucked out of the presence of God. They were chucked out of a relationship with God, out of the garden, into the wilderness. This story of Genesis is also a story of Israel. That if you read the story of God's people, Israel, it is a story of a movement from life in the presence of God to death in the wilderness to a promise of a resurrection. In Ezekiel chapter 30, is it 36 or 37? Uh, the Valley of Dry Bone, Pastor Raphael, is it 36 or 37? 37, you see the prophet uh, Ezekiel prophesying over dead bones, the dead bones of Israel. And God says he will bring them back to life. And that was a picture of a dead relationship. So being dead has to do with a life of sin, a life that is outside a relationship with God, a life of saying no to God, a life of sin and trespasses. Um, a well-known theologian by the name of Gerald Bray, yeah, his book, he wrote a book, if you are nice to me, I can lend it to you. It's such a nice picture of the uh, Christian story, and he titled it, God is Love. And in this book, he described the Christian story as God displaying his love to people, and then people rejecting that love, and then him showing his love again to people who rejected him. Um, from life to death to the promise of life. That is the Christian story. But this is one of the things that he has to say about sin. He says that sin is not something we have done, but a condition we have inherited. Let me say that again. Sin is not something we have done, but a condition we have inherited. Next week, not next week, um, the, uh, next week, we are supposed to be preaching Ephesians chapter 2, but Dr. Secom is coming next week, uh, so just be aware of that. We're going to take a break from Exodus. But when you come back to Ephesians in two weeks' time, I want to talk about generational curses, right? Um, because I just want to explore that idea. Biblically, what does generational curses actually mean? Uh, is it something that the Bible teaches? When Gerald Bray says that sin is not something we have done, but a condition we have inherited, the idea of inheritance is something that is passed down from generation to generation. Now, we normally bla- uh, joke with Black about churches that we used to attend that would speak about generational cases, and they would say, your father worked in ShopRite. Your grandfather worked in ShopRite. You are going to work in ShopRite. You have the spirit of... Uh, poverty or whatever uh, they used to say, is that, but that's in two weeks' time, um, is that what the Bible means about generational cases? Does the Bible, in fact, teach uh, us about generational cases? Uh, well, Gerald Bray is a Brit, so he wasn't talking about generational cases, but what he has to say is quite key, that sin and sinful behavior is not so much the things that we do, but a condition that we are born into. Have a look at, check this out in verse 2 to 3. Uh, he says, you are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. That's the one type of following. Uh, this kind of death uh, means that you're following the course of this world. What does that mean? It means you are going with the wind of culture. And I know we are living in Joburg and very often we we love this idea of thinking that we are independent beings. 
uh, that we do stuff that we love, that nobody's going to tell me anything. But very often we forget the amount of power that culture has to shape us. Very often we forget that the things that we do are actually because of the environment that we belong in. Paul says, outside of a relationship with God, in this relationship of death, there's two kinds of following. Number one, we're following the course of this world. We're following this culture. And if you think you're not following it, if you think you can... uh, maybe take yourself away from culture, even the monks could not do it. If you think you can escape lust by going onto a mountain, guess what? Your very thoughts will follow you into that mountain. Amen. We follow the cause of this sinful world. We follow the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of, uh, of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. This is our previous life. Uh, in the passions of our flesh. Somebody says the passions of our flesh. Uh, the passions of our flesh carrying out the desire. Somebody say desire. The desires of our body and mind. And we were by nature children of God. Uh, and so what we pick up from there is that our life before is a life of a broken relationship uh, with God. It is a life of not being responsive to God, but being responsive to the nice things of this life. Somebody say nice things. The nice things of this life. The very power of sin is that it is working according to your desires. Amen. That it is the things that we love and cherish more than anything. So we follow the world. We follow the course of this world. We follow, and Paul says this powerful thing, that there is a power that is behind what shapes this society, that there is a power that is at work in you um, if you are outside of a relationship uh, with God. The power of the prince of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Uh, So firstly, we see the two types of following. Secondly, we see how Paul describes a a relationship of death. Uh, He uses family language. Can you pick it up there? Uh, He uses the word sons of disobedience. It means you are somebody's child. In this world, you will always be somebody's child. Okay? Uh, There's this concept, and whenever we do Bible studies, there's always, with students, there's always a fight between who is a child of God. And we're not going to have that debate this evening. Uh, But I'll I'll ask you to read chapter 2 and come to the conclusion. Who gets to call themselves a child of God. Uh, Paul says that there's different kinds of fathers here. One is the sons of disobedience who are living for the flesh, carrying out the desires of their flesh. Uh, he goes on to say that we are, we were rather in our life before meeting Jesus by nature, children of wrath. Okay, whose child are you? Um, I'll let you figure that out. Like the rest of mankind. So what is at the heart of uh, being dead? Well, Paul explains it to us in verses 1 uh, to 3, that it has to do with uh, not belonging to God. It has to do with being a child of wrath, somebody who deserves the very wrath of God. That is a grim picture, isn't it? Um, The most powerful picture that I can think of is the way Africans, in African traditional religion, 
speak about their relationship with ancestors. Um, they would say that the ancestors have turned their back on you. That they no longer relate to you in um, well with you. Okay? So that is a powerful picture. That is a powerful picture of not the ancestors um, because we don't believe in ancestors. It is the power of God turning his back against sinful people. If you have a holy God who's always perfect, he cannot commune with people. Amen. He cannot live among us um, in a solid relationship. He has to turn his back against us uh, and has to uh, reject us. Um, Paul, what's his name? Um, General Bray goes on to say, Our sinfulness does not come from anything we have done, but from the relationships into which we are born. So at the heart of sin is that we are born into this relationship, uh, this broken relationship with God. He says one of this is a broken relationship with God, and the other is a dependent relationship with Satan. Uh, So there's two kinds of uh, pictures. There's two kinds of um, realities uh, outside of God, we have an, a dependent relationship uh, with Satan. Now, I wanted to just bring it to light. In light of this concept of belonging, uh, the relationship that often we have uh, with sin, I describe it as a relationship, and I'm not trying to be funny, a relationship with a blesser. Okay? Uh, for those who don't know, a blesser is an older man who takes care of a younger woman. Now, what, what kind of relationship does a blesser have with, is it the blessee? It's a relationship that on the outside you look at it, man, they're going to Dubai. Man, he's buying her expensive weaves. Man, see, she's got the latest iPhone Pro Max. Is that the final number? It, it looks like everything is going well, isn't it? Uh, and very often sin feels like that, isn't it? Man, like, but this thing is nice. I mean, now this, we have a good thing going on here, but meanwhile, he's using you. Amen. That is the relationship uh, that, um, that we see here in chapters 1 that very often we follow our desires thinking that the good life is found in that. Uh, But very often we forget uh, that this relationship is an abusive relationship. That very often we need to remember that Satan doesn't want to give good things to us. He wants to take. Uh, He wants to give you stuff so that he can get from you. Uh, He wants to give you so that he can get. So that's the first reality. Chapters 2, verse 1 to 3. Chapters 2, verse 4 to 10. But God. Somebody say, but God. Uh, Our principal said this thing, that the gospel is the mighty working of God against the backdrop of human inability and even resistance. Let me say that again. The gospel, that, that is the Christian story, is about the mighty working of God, that God is working mightily against the backdrop. What is happening in the background is that humanity is, is in, unable to work for themselves. So God does something for us that we cannot do for ourselves against the backdrop of human inability and even resistance. That not only are we unable 
to live the life that God wants us to live, but we are also unwilling. We don't want to do that. Uh, we, don't, we can't do it, and we don't want to do it. Sin is so nice, sin is so lovely, it's cushioned very well that you and I, even if we wanted to destroy it in our lives, we are unable to do it. We need help from above. But God, even when we are sinners, is working in us. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, when you didn't have a relationship with God, when you were in your trespasses, he, what did he do? He made you alive together with Christ. And he goes on to say, by grace, you have been saved. Verse 6, and he raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When we were following our desires, God acted mightily. When we were unable to save ourselves, God acted mightily. When we didn't want to save ourselves, God acted mightily uh, to bring us into a relationship uh, with himself. And notice again the idea and the concept of belonging coming through and through there. So verses 1 to 3 you are walking in your sins. Verses 4, 5, 6. Notice the position that this new relationship has. Notice the position. You're no longer walking. You are raised. You are made alive together with Christ. You are raised up with him, right? And then this key thing that I always missed when I read Ephesians is that he seated us with him in the heavenly places. What does it mean to be seated with Christ in the heavenly places? What picture comes to your mind when you think about someone who's sitting? This is the part where you speak back to me. What picture in your mind do you get of somebody sitting, or Christ sitting in the heavenly realms? Throne, rest, say it louder, sister. Precluded, uh, or concluded, I was like, yo, that's a fancy English to my friend. But this is the idea of somebody ruling on a throne. Amen. That is your reality right now. I know you may be struggling right now, but God says you are seated right now in the heavenly realms. Amen. With Christ in the heavenly realms. It means you are a slave who was running after, bless us, in chapters 1 chapters 2, verse 1 to 3, but now you are seated as a son who has all the money in the world in a place of authority with the Father. That is your reality right now. Now, I know that is not where we live. I know that is not what we experience. I know that our struggles very often take us away from that. I know that Satan sometimes reminds us and says, well, now, like, really? You're still there, chief. You're still in your old ways. You will remain there. Do not let Satan tell you that. Remind him of chapter, chapter 2, verse 6, and that you were raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And notice the action of chapter 2. What is it that people are doing? If you had to ask, what is our role in this thing? What are you doing there? Okay, God, being rich in mercy. Because of his great love, he loved us. Who does the loving? Do you love God first before he loves you? No. Yamorat, as the suit to him, says, I love him because he loved me first. Even when you were dead, what were you doing? You were 
you were dead. You guys, are you going to talk to me? <laughs> what were you doing? You were dead in your sins. What, you, you didn't do anything. You were dead, but he made us alive. He is the locus of the action in this, in this verse. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you saved yourself. No, by grace, you were saved. By grace, you raised yourself up. You pulled yourself up. From your addictions, you pulled yourself up from your sin. You pulled yourself up, hey son, the children. Um, from that relationship that God doesn't want you to be in, did you do that? No, he raised you up. Uh, did you sit yourself in the position of authority in the heavenly realms? No, this is God's action. And aren't you glad that this is an action of God? Because if it were left to you and to me, we'd be toast. But God, God is working. Why is he doing that? Verse 7, so that in the coming age, he wants to show off. In the coming age, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Uh, That when people look at our lives and look at our brokenness, when your family looks at your life prior to God intervening, like Ngazi, they may say, wow, look at not him and how he turned his life around. But look at God. God did it so that in the end, in the coming age, the age where there will be no sin and no death, in the coming age, he might display his kindness uh, to the, in the heavenly realms. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. And if anybody has ever judged you as you stepped into church, remind them that you also, it is not of your own doing. Amen. It is not because of anything that you have done. We are all here because of that guy. Okay? That guy. You know what's Moreki? The guy who buys the stuff. Um, you guys are Christian, eh? You don't, <laughs> you don't live in that world. But God does everything so that when we come into this place, we can all walk around with our chest up and not chest, chest out, chin up, and say, I belong here. I belong here because of what God has done. Yeah, I know I don't have my life together. I know being Christian is hard, but I belong to God because of all that he has done. And right now, I'm seated like a king with him in the heavenly realms. And he's working in me to transform me and to do good works in me uh, that we see there in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Again, where does the action lie? This is an active act on God, but a passive one on our behalf. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. If you are a Christian this evening and have crossed the line of faith, you are created for good works. God has prepared certain things, as Paul says, God, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we see this contrast uh, of our life before and our reality now. We often live in our life before. God wants us to live in our reality in the here now. God wants us to remember that we are no longer slaves serving Satan and our sinful desires. We are children who want to serve God and please him in all that we do. And he's empowered us to do so. We're no longer children of wrath who's, who the Father has turned his face against, but we are beloved children. You are loved by the Father. You are a son now. You belong. Now, as we end of our time together, why does that matter? Why does that matter? 
because that empowers you to go out of those doors and go live the Christian life with confidence. That empowers you to step into community and be authentic. Amen. Somebody say be authentic. It is very difficult to be authentic, isn't it? Because what are they gonna what are they gonna say? Uh, do you know that syndrome batubataring? What what are people gonna say? Uh, it is a syndrome that we all struggle with. Uh, that you don't wanna be authentic. You don't wanna tell them you struggle like that. You don't wanna lose your cool with them like you often do. You watch your language and feel like yo, ish, I struggle with going to church because hey, sometimes I speak French and then like <laughs> I just feel like an outsider. It is important for us to remember that we belong, and it has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with what God has done. Let me, let me ask you this question. Stepping into this week, who do you have in your life who, one, you can share your sin with authentically? Who do you have in your life who, secondly, is going to remind you that you belong? Let me pray for us that God will help us. Father, we are so thankful, ever so thankful for this message of the gospel that we can call ourselves children, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what God has done. We thank you that you are busy working to reshape our lives and that any time we lose confidence in our own ability, any time we lose confidence in this Christian walk, any time we think that we are at the end of it, we are defeated, that is it, sin is going to have the last say, we are reminded once again that sin will never have the last say, and that you worked in Christ Jesus, you worked for our belonging, that on that cross as he hung, he hung our sin and every evil thought, every evil desire, every evil deed on that cross, that when he died, we died. We died to our life of sin. That when you raised him up to life, like we celebrated last week, you raised us up with him. That when you seated him in the heavenly places, we are reminded this evening that we are also sitting with him. And that one day, one day, Lord, sin will be dealt with entirely. That this day, today, this coming week, on Thursday when we struggle, we can live and taste the victory that we have in you. Father, I pray that you'd empower us as we go into this week uh, to live for you.